0: Well, if you've been coming for a while to Decatur City Church, you know we have a very simple agenda or a very specific mission. It's to inspire people to follow Jesus. Not just to believe a lot of things, but to actually follow Jesus, because we believe that following Je- Jesus is what actually makes the difference. Um, believing, you can believe a lot of things and it makes no difference, but following Jesus makes the difference. And the way we say it around here is that following Jesus will make your life better. Not perfect, but it'll make your life better. It'll make you better at life. It'll make you better a father, a better husband, a better wife, a better daughter, a friend, employer, employee. We say those kinds of things all the time. So our, our mission is simple, is to inspire people to actually follow Jesus in a practical way, because when Jesus showed up and following through the Gospels, this becomes so clear. When Jesus showed up, He introduced the Kingdom of God. To earth, He introduced a different value system, a different way of viewing everything. And then Jesus made it clear that everyone is invited to participate in it. And the way that Decatur City Church embraces the idea of inspiring people to follow Jesus is by engaging people in the life and the mission of this particular local church in this particular community. Because the other thing that Jesus was so clear about, and perhaps your experience like mine would attest to, is that the church is actually God's agent of transformation. The church is God's agent of transformation personally. It's God's agent of transformation culturally. And as we're going to see a little bit next week and be rich, it's God's agent of uh, of transformation globally. Um, Just personally for me, I grew up in church like some of you, and I cannot imagine where I would be if it weren't for the influence of the local church and the people that I met through the local church. And in terms of the local church's impact culturally, wherever the local church is strong, and by that I mean wherever there's a group of people who are literally seeking to follow Jesus and to transform their lives and their culture according to the teaching of Jesus, things get better things get safer, things get healthier. And in terms of globally, all over the world today, there are the footprints and the fingerprints of the Jesus followers who built hospitals and um, who did um, did things for children and for families who just made the world a better place because of the teaching of Jesus. And, and if you're kind of new to the whole faith thing or you kind of resist the whole faith thing, um, here's something that's so interesting about Christianity. That Christianity, because obviously the church hasn't gotten it all right, and many of us can cite times in history when the church has gone way off you know, the deep end, and perhaps you think about some of the, the segments of Christianity today that really disturb you. Here's the incredible, incredible thing about the church. The church, Christianity, has a self-correcting mechanism built in That means whenever the church gets it wrong, over time people show up and say, we've gotten it wrong, we need to get it right. And the self-correcting mechanism in Christianity is the teaching of Jesus. And so when men and women like you come together in a local community committed not to simply believing a lot of things, but actually following the teaching of Jesus, wherever you go, wherever we go, wherever we show up corporately, the world becomes, the community becomes, individuals become better. That's the nature and teaching of Christianity. So the point being this, that what you're doing in this community is extraordinarily, extraordinarily important. Crawford Loritz, one of my favorite pastors, he says it this way. He says the church, when the church is getting it right, the church should be the destination to which all of culture should arrive. The church, in other words, the way we love each other, the way we treat each other, the way we support each other, and the people who love us and the people who don't love us, the people who know us and the people who don't know us, the way that we love one another and export love should be the destination that all of culture arrives to. Because at this end of the day, everybody needs forgiveness. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody wants to be loved. And these are are integral to the teaching of Jesus and the message of Christianity. So the point of all that is simply this, that what you're doing, Decatur City Church, in this community is extraordinarily important. You're doing important things. You're making a big difference. And that means we have to continue to get this right. And one of the things that allows us to get it right is who we bring into the organization to lead the organization. Um, We are notorious um, as a network of churches for making it very difficult for people to get a job with us. Um, Years ago, because we interview people to death, um, uh, several years ago, um, there was a woman I've known a long time who applied for a job with us at one of our other campuses. And um, I ran into her in the hallway um, during the interview process up at North Point in Alpharetta. And she said to me, she said, has anyone ever resigned from the application process, from the interview process. I mean, has anybody just ever like quit the interview process? And then she said, are you just making this difficult for me because you know me? I said, no, I said, we're just really, really picky because we're doing important things and we gotta get it right. And many of you come from organizations that have a high standard as well in terms of who you hire because you're doing important things through your um, corporations and through the jobs that you have. So we're pretty picky and that's okay because we're doing important things and we wanna get it right. So today I have the opportunity to choose our latest pick. So would you please welcome to the stage Dr. Stephen Lee, come on.
1: awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. Oh, awesome.
0: I'm so glad to be here. You got picked. Thank you. We we, we, we didn't think about it. We picked you. Now, um, I've gotten a chance. Some of our staff had a chance to get to know you over the last... Um, you know, you've lost count of how many interviews. It's it's been a lot. It's I never brutal. resigned. But you never yes. resigned from the interview process. So we're we're glad. So before we jump, I want you to tell a little bit of your story. I have some specific questions to ask you. And by the way, he knows the questions ahead of time. This wasn't like. You'll see when you get there. We don't do that. Yeah. It'd be interesting to do that. I may <laughs> that throw a few be, in a there. Bit, um, but I want you to introduce your family because you have some extended family here and your family. So just introduce us to the awesome. family. Well, first of all, I just want
1: to thank you, Andy, for, for being here. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of the process. And there's been so many people behind the scenes, uh, Lane and all of the senior leadership team. I'm just thinking, okay, Let's just give them some love. Appreciation. Oh, oh thanks. Uh, for what you all do. Uh, I'm again so honored, so, so excited. A little bit of cold, but I'm excited to be here. It, it turned cold. And, uh, and, to and I'm, and I'm, I'm worshiping, but I'm also trying to warm up a little bit too. <laughs> uh, but I'm so thankful, so honored to be here. My wife of 17 years is right there. Tiff, just kind of wave your hand. 17 years. I'm so blessed and honored. I've got my mom and dad here. I've got my niece, Trinity. Just wave your hands. And, and all of my kids. And your father-in-law? My father-in-law. Y'all know father-in-law. He's, I think he's warmed up to me over 17 years. I think at this point. Uh, I'm, am I good, dad? Okay. He's yeah. like, don't call me dad, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then all of my kids, Shania, Silas, Sawyer, Actually, nothing. you have a picture. I do have a picture. Yeah. I do got a picture. Here we go. Right here. Let's look. There they are. Let's do all at the same time. One, two, three. Oh, yeah. there it is. Uh, so there's all of them. Obviously, my wife, Tiffany, uh, been married 16, 17 years, 17 years, 17 years <throat> uh, this year. Then Shania Silas is right there in the middle. Sorry, y'all see sorry, That's our Christmas baby in the bottom left hand corner. Y'all remember back in the day when you were trying to figure out how to smile and get that? That's Sawyer, look at his face. He's he's trying to figure it out. And then Stephen is on the right hand side. That's my twin. And then Shaw, Shaw is at the bottom middle. And Shaw's like, I can't wait till this is over. And then uh, y'all can tell so many kids. And then Shaden is top right hand uh, so, corner.
0: So wait, so all of your kids' names start with S, like Stephen, but none of them have a T, like Tiffany. Well,
1: here's, I I got a story to that. Listen before. Tiffany actually started that. She started with the S names, and, you know, we just kept going with that.
0: But, yes, I— Well, there's an advantage to that because I have three kids and a puppy. And and, and so, you know, when I was going to yell at one of my kids to get their attention, sometimes I would call the wrong name, and sometimes I would even say Shadow. That was our, our black lab, you know. Yeah. So at least with you, you can at least start any of their names correctly because they're all <laughs> S, and then hopefully— I do. That's it, a lot it, of names. It
1: is. I mean, it, it's a little unnerving, Matt. And, and
0: then here's the other I'm going to let you talk. Oh, about you. Here's the a, other yeah. question everyone's asking when they saw that picture. So you always travel in two cars.
1: Two cars. Now, now here's the thing. If you're a 90s baby, you'll appreciate this. We actually, we, we kind of aged out of a, of a Honda Odyssey. And here, here's what we drive. I think we've got a picture of what we actually drive. A hearse around a town. So anybody remember, you know, 80s, 90s babies, the 18. So we just need that red, we just need that red sticker there. So that, that is what we drive around town uh, family. So again, if you see us that that's, we're in there. You said it was a hearse. It kind of felt like it kinda,
0: a hearse. Yeah. I thought if you just turn the headlights on, people just get out of the way and you can just, that's true. That's true. Well, you just that, need a, a police work. officer to, yeah. to, to ride with you. <laughs> All right. So again, I've heard some of these stories just, Tell us a bit of your life story. I'm going to interrupt a couple times and ask some specific questions, but just introduce yourself.
1: So I was born way back, 1981. Okay, I'm not going to go back that far. Um, I'm a Washington, D.C. native. Um, uh, Washington, D.C. We got D.C. folks here. Okay. A little bit of love, little Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C. Grew up in Washington, D.C. I mean, pretty normal childhood. I I just remember, obviously, like video games, riding bikes. This is before uh, cell phones. Um, there's a bunch of things kind of in my life that stick out. One of the things that the staff is most impressed about is that I have a black belt in Kung Fu. Like that's kind of the deal,
0: a black belt, in a Kung black Fu.
1: belt in Kung Fu. Yeah. I, that was kind of the thing. I mean, most people look at me like that when mm-hmm. I tell them,
0: I don't think I believe you except your parents are here. So yeah, yeah.
1: I got, I, I have a black belt in Kung Fu. Um, I grew up, uh, obviously on the East coast. And so basketball is like football. There. Does that kind of make sense? And so I went to University of Maryland College Park, uh, Terrapins, and, um, you know, I was there. was a political science major. I think one of the fun facts that people often are really surprised by is I actually grew up in a house with two parents, get this, two parents that had their PhDs. Both of them. Both of them. Yeah. I mean, just amazing. Amen. I mean, this is. Yeah. So, so I kind of grew up. Y- y'all know when you grew up and you were trying to, you know, to a tryout for a sports team, like a passing grade was 69. Not in my house. Passing grade in my house was 89. And so my mom has taught at uh, University of Maryland for over 30 years, and her concentration is entomology. Does anybody know what entomology is the study of? Buzz. Instead of insects, give yourself... I mean, in, so we're in Decatur. Everybody's smart, Decatur. Yeah, there we go. And my dad, his concentration is zoology, which is the study of? Animals. So again... Growing up in a family with two um, two scientists, uh, I do remember. When I was thinking a little bit about Christmas. Christmas under our tree, there were always a bunch of books. I mean, that was kind of the thing. So I got books, and that was that was that was kind of what I grew up with.
0: Yeah. And then, and that you love sports. So you love had sports. a little, and that kind of in, impacted your career choice a little bit later on. So. So did you play basketball?
1: So I did. I did grow up uh, playing a lot of basketball. Um, I actually wanted to, when I was growing up, wanted to be in the NBA. Uh, the challenge there was, you know, I, I was the kid that had a mustache in the eighth grade. And so I stopped growing pretty early. Um, <laughs> I, I found out those growth plates were closed. Yeah. And, and so that was a big prayer of mine. But, but honestly, Andy, I think one of the things is just kind of a pivotal point in my life. I remember I was at the age of 15 and back in the day, y'all, this is back in the day. Um, our church had things called youth retreats. We didn't have kind of these cool names like Frequency and Inside Out. And I remember going on a youth retreat, and that was the first time, and we were kind of regular church attenders growing up. That was the first time that I remember kind of getting away and hearing, I think for the first time, um, or just in a way that I understood about Jesus and who he was. And you were how old Is it Middle school, was, high school? I was 15. 15. I was 15. It was in between my ninth and 10th grade Uh, Summers, And I think one of the things that just kind of sticks out about that instance, I just remember growing up, hearing about who Jesus was and what he had done. And at that youth retreat, I remember them kind of, you know, we, I think we're in Pennsylvania. I think hearing the gospel for the very first time. And I think what I got was, okay, what Jesus did for the world was good. But at that point, I remember at 15, I was able to apply what Jesus did for the world, but he also did for me. Hmm. And so that was a pivotal point in my life. I uh, becoming a Christian at the age of fifteen. So
0: you and, made a uh, faith decision at camp. At camp, right? Yep. Uh huh. And then you came home and told your parents. I did. I did. gave you a book, or what happened? You know, you
1: got- they actually. But so, so this was kind of this was kind of the time again in the nineties where you know when you go on a youth retreat, you come back and you and you throw away all of your secular. So I threw away all of my Tupac and all of my Biggie and all of my Bone Thugs and Harmony. It's okay. This is a safe place.
0: And then at, you repurchased it later. At, yeah, absolutely. Repurchased it. I was like, "No, how I do like, I know that?" Yeah, okay. Because did you do the same oh, thing? Yeah, yeah but this I, was back in the late '70s. Yeah, I threw away all of my stuff. Frisbees. We made. Yeah, yeah it was terrible. Yeah, and yeah. so don't do that to your kids. But yeah,
1: but but I uh, but I just remember. and I remember there was a scripture that they shared at this youth here. It was Galatians 2:20. I still remember. It was 20. It was almost 20 years. It was the Apostle Paul telling his kind of conversion story. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul had a really crazy past. I mean, he killed Christians. Like his his job was to kill Christians. And I remember that scripture. It was, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the faith that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I just remember hearing that message. And I think one of the things that stuck out in Galatians 2.20 was the fact that Jesus loved me in spite of all the things that I did, in spite of all the ways that I messed up, in spite of all the ways that I fell short, in spite of my struggles with faith, um, it was this realization that Jesus gave his life for me. Hmm. And, uh, and God really demonstrated that his sacrifice for my sins had been accepted by raising Him from the dead. And I just remember at 15, I, d- I wasn't a perfect Christian. I'm, I'm not a perfect Christian today, but I just remember that message made sense. And, um, and my life has never been the same ever wow. since.
0: Wow. Yeah. So- Growing up in a very educated household, you yes. got books for Christmas. <laughs> wow. Books. I got clothes. I mean, clothes were disappointing, but books. Yeah, like, I got books. Thank you. I got, yeah. It's a book. <laughs> Look, it's a book. Yeah. Um, you did, in other words, you didn't go rummaging around the closets trying to find what your parents got you beforehand because you knew. Bruh,
1: listen, Andy, we slept in on Sunday. We slept in on Christmas morning. We yeah. knew it was, we knew yeah. What was happening. Yeah. <laughs> we just... Yeah. Some, some poor, some, poor Santa, a sled no, full of books. No, listen. They like, were, they were, and my parents will attest. There were some Christmas mornings that we just we didn't open gifts till the twenty seventh.
0: We we, <laughs> we, we we were good. You didn't want to have a reading assignment be, will, while, while they, school was out. Yes, yeah, they yeah. will
1: tell you we just said, you know, let's we'll we'll open stuff on the twenty seventh.
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. do you get your kids books for Christmas?
1: Ah, uh, no, they
0: don't accept them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but here's the thing. But Nana and Pop Pop still give books for, for Christmas. So the, the tradition has continued. So you grew up
0: in a household that was all about academics and two PhDs. So was there pressure to follow in their footsteps in that way? Because you, obviously you ended up in ministry. So yeah. maybe talk a little bit about that journey.
1: You know, it's kind of crazy. My parents have always been and they're here this morning. I'm so thankful for them and so honored um, just for them. To be, they've always been so supportive. Uh, even when I went to University of Maryland College Park, I was an engineering major for a week. <laughs> and I thought that's where I wanted to go. And I just I kind of got to the point. I was like, okay, you know, calculus four, calculus five. And I just I think it opted out. Of that. And I remember calling my parents and I said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And actually, uh, my plan at University of Maryland was to become a political science major. And I was headed towards law school really all the way up until my senior year. I went to University of Maryland from 1999 to 2003, and something happened on 9-11, September 11, 2001. We all remember where we were. And I was in uh, typing class, typewriter class. Again, Andy, I was trying to get an A. I mean, it was, we, I paid money for that class. I was in, I was in typewriter class. Mm-hmm. And this is before cell phones. And we actually, I remember at the time, kind of hearing that two planes that hit the World Trade Center. And some people, you know, people might be familiar with this, but if you were in D.C., there was actually a plane that hit the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that time, I'd been a Christian for uh, about five years, just having this kind of overwhelming sense that I should do something. And my girlfriend at the time and just a group of friends, we just said, hey, wh- let's just get together and pray for our country. Mm-hmm. And let's just kind of commit um, our country to God. There was just a lot of crazy things happening. And from that experience, Andy, for the next two years, uh, that prayer meeting became a Bible study, a regular Bible study that we started on campus. We called it Dynamic Disciples. We rented a room on campus. called it what? Dynamic Disciples. We stole it from my church's mission statement of developing Dynamic Disciples. And the Lord really used that experience over those next two years uh, I think to give kind of me some sense of what I would love to do for the rest yeah. of my
0: life, and it was helping people. So you were part of the leadership of that. Group.
1: Yeah, I was yeah. part of the leadership. Yeah. And so it, it was. It, I think it was, for me, an experience where I got a chance to help people to grow in their faith, and I think the Lord just used that to kind of spur me on. And one of the things that was really interesting to me, I had a good friend. His name's Bobby Manning. He's a pastor in District Heights, Maryland. Um, we got saved. We came to Christ the same weekend uh, back, you know, when we went to that youth retreat and Bobby told me about a school, Dallas Theological Seminary. At the time, as I was headed to law school, I had no idea that you could go to a school and learn more about the Bible and theology. And so I asked him, it was my senior year. I've been teaching that Bible for two years. And I said, Bobby, would you, would you be okay if I kind of tagged along with you and went to discover Dallas Mm -hmm. and, Went to discover Dallas, and you know, obviously, you're a Dallas Seminary. Grab when you kind of get there, you're just like, "This is this really is awesome!" It. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then that's what led me from political science, University of Maryland, to Dallas Theological Seminary.
0: So you graduated from college, and then did you go immediately to seminary? Yep, I went. Right. So I, it's kind of crazy. What did your What did your parents think about that? You know I mean, what? My son's going to be a lawyer. My son's going to be a what? Yeah. I, but you you know what's
1: absolutely crazy? And this is really crazy. My parents they, they they've always been really really supportive. Mm. Um. I, you know, what was kind of crazy was at University of Maryland, that's 120 credits, y'all, family. I mean, and then Dallas Seminary, you know, you go from that 120 credits to another
0: 120 credits. Well, it's a four-year, four the degree you did and that I did, it's a four-year master's degree. In we can theology. be doctor, doctor in four years, but yes. it's, so it's, it's, a, it's very academic, it's very challenging. Yeah. Only brilliant people are able to get through that program. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, well, 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 no, it's, it's, it's intense. Well, it's funny, Andy. My
1: my dad, I remember when I was graduating Dallas Theological remember Dallas my dad would say, so, Stephen, you're actually getting your doctorate. I was like, no, dad. It's this just is just a master's This theory. is just
0: a master." Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, when did you and Tiffany meet?
1: So, Tiffany and I met at University of Maryland College Park in 2001. Here's what I did. I was… So, you were, while you were in college. And yeah. I was in college. I was too afraid to actually say something in person, so I actually… Sent her a message on AOL Instant Messenger. Anybody remember that? Ah, there it is. Her name, I still remember it, y'all. It was Precious three four eight one. Wow. And so now, you know, people people slide into DMs now, but this was this was this was AOL Instant Messenger. So I hit her up and I said, Hey, let's go to the library. And y'all, the library, the library. Yeah, it's. I didn't have a lot of game.
0: Okay, wait, yeah. wait. At, yeah. At Georgia State University, you got any Georgia State grads here? Georgia State? Yeah. There's a bar called The Library.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Or there was. I don't know if it's still. Because okay. <laughs> then you can tell your parents, I'm at the library. Okay. So you invited her to the library. I was it a real library? It was a real library. I didn't bring oh. any books. Yeah. yeah. I, I,
1: I, it, was, it was a ploy to get her there and my attempts to woo her. And it worked. Six kids later. <laughs>
0: That's a lot of woo. It's a anyway. lot of woo. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So w- were you married? So you were married before you went to yep. seminary? So
1: so Tiff and I had about two years apart. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, I think in 2003. When I got on campus, here's what was different. Coming from the Northeast, I was living in the dorms, um, you know, at Dallas. In Dallas, yeah. In Dallas. And I met people from the South that had been married for like five years. You know, because like in the South, you can get married at like 17.
0: Careful now. Careful.
1: I, no, I'm, I mean, legally... I'm just, saying, but like that was the thing. And Tiffany, our plan was, hey, we'll get married in our 30s, and we'll just kind of do long distance. And when I was on campus, I was like, oh, if your girlfriend's here or your wife, I want my wife to be here. So I proposed, and then we got married in 2005.
0: So you had finished two years. At- I finished
1: two years, and my GPA it went down when she got there. Yeah.
0: So it, it, she was seminary wife. Yep, she's seminary wife. Which is really difficult. Uh, yes, yeah. absolutely. If you haven't been, yeah, we can yeah. move on. Okay. Yeah. So yes. you get out of so you're in okay. seminary. You're thinking you're going to be a pastor.
1: Yeah, I I think honestly, Andy, I think for me it wasn't that I I think pastoral ministry none of that was really on the table. I just knew that I loved helping people to grow, and I and I think at part I think the time I think the thing that I have most processed you know throughout the time was um, was just it, and it was really for people in my generation. I mean, it was just how can I make the Bible understandable? Hmm. But I think pastoral ministry still wasn't. Yep. Uh, on the table, I just said, you know, I think I'd love to learn more about Bible and theology.
0: And so you graduate from seminary. Yep. Uh-huh. Then what happened?
1: So I graduated from seminary, uh, worked at a number of churches uh, in Texas. Um, but actually, you know, after working for a couple of churches in Texas, I actually uh, served as an athletic director and basketball coach at a classical Christian school uh, in Dallas uh, called uh, the Cambridge School of Dallas. And so I did a lot of different things. I did that. My wife and I served with a ministry called Apartment Life. If anybody's ever heard of Apartment Life, it's a ministry where, um, you know, you get kind of money every month to be the social coordinators at apartment complexes. And the entire goal is to develop relationships, to love on people, and and so the, the business side of it is that you're lowering retention by creating a community, but the spiritual side is that you have an opportunity just to love on yeah. people.
0: But it's very difficult work. It I is. have friends that have done apartment life, and it's it's very challenging. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of it's, you're almost like a missionary. You're a missionary. in an, an apartment yeah. complex, and, people coming and going, and you're developing yeah. relationships. And, and, and we're we're. But doing, let me. The reason I ask yeah. you that is. Because I went to DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary. It's very difficult. It's very challenging academically. Everybody wants to go be a pastor and start a church in Dallas, which is so ridiculous. There's so many churches in Dallas. There are more churches than grocery stores. And, And so with that much time and effort to get a master's degree in theology and for you not to go immediately into pastoral ministry, what? Why? I mean, you've kind of said it, but...
1: You know, you know to be honest, I and, and this is just being really transparent. Um, I grew up in a really healthy church growing up, and I think when I went to Dallas, and this might sound a little odd, man, I kind of saw how messy church was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he didn't
0: want to be in charge of one. No, I no, and literally, I think when <laughs> you t- can't leave a church if you're in charge of it. Th- that's, yeah. that's it. No, that's it. And, okay, so I'm i going to the a church down the street. Yeah. It, it, no well, pastor. No, you're no, the pastor. You're the pastor. Right?
1: And, yeah. and honestly, I think that when I graduated seminary, there was just I think I saw just how complex and how messy leadership was. And when Tiffany and I um, started serving as a cares team at the time, I think we had just kind of resolved where perhaps the the story of our life in ministry will just be engaging because, and you know, kind of living locally, we'll be believers, but I always miss the local church. Mm. I always... Um, there was always kind of that draw yep. to just knowing that the church was the hope of the world and the church was the vehicle that God wanted to use to put himself on display. And so even though you know, I kind of took a little bit of a course as an athletic director and basketball coach and a lot of different things, there was always this drawback
0: to serving within the local church. So yep. jumping ahead. So you... You did eventually end up in local church. Yeah, Talk about yeah. that season so, of your so life.
1: So kind of crazy deal. Here's another kind of crazy thing about seminary. When you go to seminary, I think everybody assumes that you go there to, um, you know, to be kind of prepared to have a ministry job in a local church where there's a 4013 b um, where you're getting a salary. For whatever reason, I meet a guy who ends up planning a church in Atlanta, and this is the first time that I ever, I think I'm aware of the sense that every Christian church that started has started because there was a group of believers that had a heart for a particular community. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, tuck that away. That happens probably two years. And then my wife and I, kind of two years later, I think in the year of 2013, uh, we just began to kind of feel this call with the North American Mission Board to plant a church um, back home in Washington, D.C. And so in 2013, uh, we moved back to Washington, D.C. Uh, there was a kind of a small group of of uh, believers that had a heart for a neighborhood like called Brookland, which is actually in the city in Washington D.C., and we started a church there uh, called Redeemer City Church. And that church, by God's grace, is eight years old this year. Wow! Yeah,
0: still going strong. Amen. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you were there how long?
1: So I was at that church for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, had the pleasure again. A very crazy story that I got connected with a gentleman named Kenneth Jones, KJ Jones, who actually was on staff at North Point. Uh, he and I, I was the lead pastor. He was my associate pastor. And after leading for three and a half years, I passed the baton of leadership to him. KJ, yeah. And he became, uh, he's actually, even today, he's the lead pastor at yep. that church. And then and, uh, you. And then my wife and I, again, we, we felt the distinct call uh, to suffer for Jesus in South Florida. <laughs>
0: We just and, and so God, you went and started another church. And
1: God drew us there. But again, here's kind of the crazy story. And this, you all will kind of hear this pattern our story. When we moved to South Florida, the plan was not to start a church, it was really just to take a little bit of a break. I candidated for a church in South Carolina, and uh, I was, it was between me and another guy. They chose the other guy. And we were really in South Florida, kind of praying about what's next. And one of the things that I think surprised us when you look at South Florida demographic about 3% of people in South Florida attend church regularly. So when we moved to suffer for Jesus in South Florida, that's my story, I'm sticking to it, Um, we just began to love on our neighbors, we began to serve the community that we're in, and God called us again in 2018 to start another church, Legacy Church, uh, in Coconut Creek, Florida. So we started that church, that church is four years old uh, right now, and it's being led by a good friend of mine's, uh, Eric and
0: Kelly Jarman in South Florida. Wow. So that's kind of the journey. That's the journey. And then yep. uh, and then we snagged you and brought you to, Decatur, to Decatur, Decatur City Church. And I'm Church, so excited back.
1: about being here.
0: Yeah, so talk a little bit about that because you, it's yeah. an interesting journey. It is. And we've questioned you to death in all of these interviews. Absolutely. And you're a planner, you're a starter, you're a leader. You yep. love people. I mean, okay. your, your heart and your passion really is people yeah. development. It's not trying to grow something or build something. Yeah. And now you drop into this rather... This network of yeah, churches. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about why and what you what your hope and dream is as the lead pastor. Well,
1: well, here's kind of the crazy thing is I remember the first time that I landed in Decatur, and I remember calling my wife because it was just me at the very first time, and I was just mm-hmm. driving through the city of Decatur, and I just it it felt so similar to Brooklyn, D.C., where my wife and I had planted our very first church, and I, actually, you know, I was I had written in my journal, no, let's so my survival you know, it's not a journal, it's a survival kit. Earlier, about five months earlier, I had ridden there. And one of the prayers that my wife and I had in March is we began to feel kind of this sense that we wanted to be back in an urban context again. Uh, The church that we planted in South Florida uh, was in a more suburban context out the city, but we just began to kind of feel that desire to Mm -hmm. be in a city-centered context. One of the things that we've loved about Decatur is uh, the ability to to do that, like to have kind of some boundaries of ministry where we can just love on the community, where we can um, where we can serve the schools, where we can have amazing things. Anybody was at Porch Fest yesterday? Anybody? Porch Fest was awesome, and and it's like when I, even when I was at Porch Fest yesterday, I was just kind of seeing how we were putting Jesus on display. Mm. And how we were loving our neighbors, and it was kind of crazy. We were, you know, we gave out a bunch of free stuff, and we had people literally coming over, you know, there, and they were kind of taking money out of their pockets to give. And I was like, no, this is this is free. And what was really awesome about that was for us to be in a place where we can literally be the hands and feet of Jesus, and and we can, in some sense, just believe that through loving people and serving people, that God's going to give us some amazing opportunities to. Uh, Um, to see him put on display and draw people unto
0: himself. And this is one of the reasons that we were so excited about when we met Stephen is because this church in particular, I mean, we're not that far, this church is not that far from Buckhead Church. But the reason we have churches around the community, And my charge to Stephen and to all of our lead pastors is, look, you, I want you to create the best church possible that unchurched people would love to attend and feel loved on and feel welcomed in for that community. That's why we don't have like a, a global brand like yes. North Point Community South. No, 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 it's Decatur City Church. Yeah. It needs to look and feel. It needs to be for the people of Decatur or Buckhead or yeah. Woodstock or wherever we do a church. Yeah. So in our interviews with Stephen, it was very, very obvious that this is a guy who is more about people than leading a church more about the people in the community than an institution, and so uh, this was this was a pretty easy decision for us, and we're just so grateful that he and Tiffany um, accepted accepted it and have moved their family. So, before as we wrap up, okay. I want two things. I want you to tell your this church, you know, how they can pray for you. Thank you. Yeah. And then I'm going to ask you if you would close and. Pray for us, and then we're gonna. I think we're gonna go outside and have some food or something. Awesome! I think we got cake pops. All yeah. right, cake yeah. pops. All right. Well, um, how can we pray for? How can we pray for you?
1: Well, well, listen. First of all, I just I just want to thank you all so much. I, I think one of the things that I've done over the last couple of months is I've just gone back in the archives and just looked at all the amazing things that you all have accomplished over the last twelve years. I'm so thankful um, to be receiving the, the the really the baton of leadership. I think obviously Tinsley and Lori have done such an amazing job. Just <laughs> And their, and their leadership. Um, and and I'm, I'm really thankful to be in a place that loves the community. I, I'm excited to learn from you. I'm excited to learn uh, about uh, just some of the stories that have shaped our community. I, I, my hope, what, what really, uh, you know, I think just to be as we're moving forward, is that we would continue to do what we do really, really well. I think Porch Fest was just a great example of what we do well. I think we do an amazing job Of putting Jesus on a on display in a community um, where we just got to do a little bit of work and perhaps even at times to kind of repair what people think about about believers and Christians. And so I'm just excited to to really link arms with you uh, to continue to uh, inspire people to follow Jesus in this particular community. And how can we pray for? Oh, you got a lot going uh, on. So I think two things: Um, housing. Uh, We are just praying. I mean, we've. We have an amazing uh, realtor um, who is, you know, we kind of put in. Y'all keep praying um, an offer on a house yesterday uh, in the city of Decatur. And so we're just kind of hoping that goes through. We've got six kids that we're transitioning. Amen. I mean, this just six kids that are transitioning. All of them are really, really excited. Um, But we also realize that there's also challenges in transition. I mean, one of the things that you text me really early was that even even good transitions are difficult. Yeah. And so transitions could, are always challenging. They're yeah. always challenging. So just be praying for our family um, that we can get here and get settled and uh, just continue to, uh, for this to become home. I mean, that's really our desire that this will become home. So I think that's it. Anything and else?
0: the family, everybody's going to start school here in We're hoping, January. January. Uh, the first of January,
1: right. uh, the first of January. And so once we get kind of our housing situated and we get us a close date, Uh, We'll be and our entire family is going to be here uh, with us.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming and kind of going back and forth in the meantime. Thank you so So, much. So I would love for you to pray for us. Absolutely. And um, then we'll go. You get to meet some folks. All right. right. Y'all ready? Let's all stand. Let's pray. I've asked Stephen if he would close us in prayer. (laughs) Well, again,
1: I'm so thankful, so honored to be here and so excited to get to know uh, so many of you all. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? Our God and our Father, we bless you and honor you today. This is certainly the day that you've made, and we're making a choice to rejoice and be glad. Lord, what you are doing here today is good. We want to celebrate where we've been in the past. We want to celebrate where we are presently, and we are excited about the future because Dictator City Church is your idea. And so, Lord, we are just asking that you would go before us, that you would bless us. I'm so thankful for every person under the sound of my voice and those who are watching online, and we just thank you. Uh, Lord, for the privilege to partner with you uh, and seeing men and women inspired uh, to follow Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.